everybody, and welcome to episode 4 of Playing With Myself on the Internet, Miru. And this is the third Miru episode in a row, so you're getting your fix, I'm getting to play this game at a relatively quick pace, and I am loving it. I thought last session we might have had a chance against that robot god, but we got smacked down something fierce, but it allowed us to escape allow for more character doubt to kind of build and that tension, that revenge to just simmer. And in Running Away, we found something really cool that I'm pretty sure was one of the Kickstarter stretch goals for Miru 1, which was these, they're kind of like mini dungeons. In the back of the book, they show these isometric maps that are really cool. They're these isometric, now, typically, this is a hex crawl, and that's the only kind of mapping you're doing in Miru. But these mini dungeons have isometric grid maps, and they're really cool. They're tight, they're confined spaces, and they have a bunch of little flags on them with numbers. So if you get to that square, a certain event happens. And what's really cool, just like everything else in Miru, it's on a timer. You can't be here forever and we have arrived at the Cave of Shinda. So the rules for the time limit is that there are only 10 turns in this subway tunnel cave. At the beginning of each turn, I roll a d6, and I can move up to that many spaces on this mini isometric map. If I move on top of one of the tiles with the flags on them, I can interact with that event. But... I might not be able to get to everything on this map unless I'm rolling pretty well on my d6s or I get lucky, etc. After the 10th turn, or after I've reached a certain event, the day ends like usual, and you cannot repeat this event. Going back down into this cave does not allow me to get things that I missed. So I guess without any further ado, let's descend into the cave of Shinda. Typically when I GM for groups, I try and frame scenes and how events begin as if it were part of a television show or movie. I know it's become a very popular form of describing a scene as GMs, but imagining this moment in this game where my character is geared up but still has doubt about this journey and fearlessly turns on a flashlight will say that they have simple basic things like that. And we would get a shot where the camera is tracking through a bunch of undergrowth in this forest. And eventually it clears before this concrete structure that descends into the ground. Modern viewers would know this as a subway entrance with the station name and all of the various details about the site itself but my character clicks on their flashlight and descends these steps into darkness. The next shot is the dark, overgrown subway platform. Perhaps a little ways down the tunnel itself is actually even the rusted out subway car. But most of this area has either caved in or become so impassable that there's really only one place for me to go. So let's roll the first d6, turn 1 of 10 in the Cave of Shinda, and see how many tiles I can move. Good ol' average 3. 
So immediately coming down, I pass through a doorway. And to my left, I enter and see a pile of robot parts and bones. Digging through to make sure that nothing's going to attack me from this pile, I find two spare parts and one solar-powered light. The solar-powered light appears to be low on charge and will only last four turns in combat. Oh, so maybe I didn't have a light. So this works out. I have four turns worth of light in a combat. Continuing through this small room, I find another set of stairs that descends further into this subway. Taking my second turn, four, which brings me to the bottom of the stairs. As I reach the bottom of the stairs, I step into a puddle and hear rats scurrying around in the darkness. Next turn, turn three, I got a five. To my left, at the bottom of the stairs, there is a drop into what I can't see, so I continue to walk along a platform until I reach a corner. Graffiti decorates the moldy brick walls, and it says, There is no God. She doesn't exist, displayed in runny red paint marks. Continuing to a larger room off to the side, roll another four on turn four, which brings us to the opening of the room, but nothing really happens. It says, your solar-powered light flickers off and on. If you were to keep going in that direction, you might get lost. So you explore closer to the entrance. Rolling for turn five. Another four. So I head parallel to the way I came, but I'm going around the room below where the fall was. And my foot accidentally kicks something, and I look down and find a backpack laying at the edge of the platform. I wrestle around inside and find two bit lifts. Just enough for the train, you joke. Continuing on, turn six. My first one. So I'm looking down, I see stairs that descend to the platform. And as I'm looking down the stairs, I hear a sound behind me. So on turn seven, gonna roll. Another five. I turn around and use my flashlight for one turn, so we're down to three uses of that, and see a helper F2 that's inactive. Somebody had been taking it apart, but as I walk towards it, I can see that it's partially taken apart, and trying to escape into a tunnel is a Buster T3. So technically, I guess this is turn eight as I begin a combat with this robot. And it attacks first, so as always, let's roll for how much damage it does. Of course, I rolled a six for five damage, but between all of my armor, I managed to deftly roll out of the way, and I'm going to use my roll and slice technique, which I have mastered, so I automatically succeed on it, and deal damage with my laser sword, which, after all the calculations of bonuses and my plus one from the Allura cards, and its minus two attack power from the radio tower being shut down is enough to dispel this in one go. So turn seven was lost to a quick combat, but I do get to roll 2d6 to see if I get any cool loot from this Buster T3. And I rolled terribly. And in fact, two ones results in no reward whatsoever. Bummer. 
All right, turn eight. Going to roll to see how many squares. My first six. So turning it around, I want to get away from wherever that Buster T3 was coming from. So I'm actually going to head down into that platform area. And as I descend the stairs, I find myself in a room where the walls are covered in newspaper. I hate you is scribbled over and over and over again. I hear a giggle above me and look up. I take a few steps back as a humanoid robot slinks down from the pipes that run across the ceiling. He hides his half-torn face with a mask with one large eye painted on it. You like my decorations? He asks in a whisper. I tried to make it look like my home from before, but she messed up my memory. He slowly walks around you in a circle. I've been watching you walk through my domain. I can tell you're one of her spies. You're a believer. I can tell you have her mark. He reaches up with one of his arms and hangs from a pipe. You look for an escape, but he has you cornered. I used to do what I was told. Like you. I did my job well. I made people smile. But then she showed up with her little update. His voice grows louder and agitated. He lets go of the pipe and takes a step towards you. I'm free from her control, and I won't let you take that from me. He lunges at me, and I'm going to be fighting an android. It does have decent hit points at 13 and a defense score of 3, an escape value of 5, and does hit hard enough that I will probably take damage in this fight. So it lunges at me, and I rolled a 5, so that is 9 points of damage. I do have six armor, but that's going to be three hit points lost for me. It is my turn. After he lunges, I see that it's clearly capable, but it's got openings in its defense that a few weeks ago, a month and a half ago, I probably would not even have noticed. But I've been in a few scraps since then. So I'm going to pull out and use my solar-powered taser. I get it one time per day. And this may be stupid, (laughs) but I'm going to attempt the TS4, the tech skill for EMP grenade. Remember, we learned that from one of the survival books, and it teaches you how to basically toss your taser to heavily stun it. I don't think it would deal the damage. I'm not sure. But I'm going to say that because I haven't used it today. It will deal the damage and just increase the stun value from 1 to 3. So I get to roll 3d6 and see if any of them come up a 1, in which case I will succeed and increase that tech skill to 2. I did not. I try and play a clever game with it and say, hey, catch, and I toss it. But it looks at it and doesn't even flinch as my taser hits the ground, discharging and completely useless. It looks at me and says... I know she sent you, and goes to attack again. This time I only got a three, which is five damage that I offset with my defenses. Quick feet with my light shoes, my hacked minor shield, and now I'm going to get serious. I pull my laser sword and hear the electricity humming. It very dimly lights slightly around the blade itself, and I'm going to use dodge and strike. Adds 2 to my attack, I automatically succeed on it, and it deals 11 damage minus its 
three defense, so eight damage to it, bringing it down to five hit points. At this point, it's screaming almost incoherently. Its voice is modulating between slightly human-sounding and just raw, distorted robot. It swings from one of the pipes and attempts to kick me, and I roll a six for nine more damage, meaning I'm taking three more. I've taken six damage. Also got to keep track of the energy I've used for my two tech skills. And I think one more swing with the laser sword, no tech skill required, is going to be enough to take it down. So it goes to kick me. I take the kick, but I use its momentum to bring it down to the ground, raise my laser shield, and bury it in this android. And that takes us to turn 10. We have completed the Cave of Shinda event. I only missed one or two of the flags, I think. But not only do we get to roll 3d6 for the reward from this android, it says, you obtain one Cyclops mask, the mask that it was wearing over its android torn up face with the one eye painted on it. It says, you leave the cave and camp nearby. You have a dream that night about being a bank teller in the middle of a transaction. You get a software update and develop another pair of eyes. Oh no. All right, let's roll 3d6, see what our reward is. Not great, it's an 11, which would allow us to get the special reward, which is spare parts. Or I can split it up and do a 4 and a 6, or a 6 and a 5 for a bunch of meal bars. Hmm. Actually, because it is an android that's been living down here in the subway tunnels, I'm going to split it up so I just get 6 bitliths, meaning I've found 8 bitliths here in this subway. If I ever make it back to a village, I think that brings me up to enough to buy the one tech skill I have left that I can't buy. So, just in case. And we spend the night nearby, camping, and with our improved camping gear, I will eat a meal bar, and between those two things, I manage to get back up to full HP and EP. We wake up in the morning, walking back out of the same tunnel we descended last night, into the forest, and wandering beyond. Let's roll to see which way the god goes. A one, which I believe is straight east. And we will also move east into a new tile. So, as always, we get to have our fun, rolling 4d6 to determine what terrain we're going to find ourselves in and what events may happen on this day. A six brings us into more swamps, and the event I rolled was a 10, which is an encounter. And the encounter I rolled was a 3, which says the arsonist. As you're walking along an old road beneath the willow trees, a creepy, long-bearded man jumps out in front of you. You can't understand a word he's saying. And suddenly he's shot by a Buster T5. You turn around and fight it. Oh, okay. No, oh, this poor guy. Well, the Buster T5 has 10 hit points minus 2 because of the radio tower, so it has 8 hit points and a defense of 2. I should be able to defeat this thing. It has fired what is actually an arrow. Uh, it has somehow integrated within its mechanical body a bow, and it fired an arrow which has pierced this old man who I cannot understand, and it is going to fire shot at me as well. Of course, I roll a six for five damage, but even that is not enough. I think I kind of take cover 
and my heavy leather jacket actually, the angle that it hits me at and everything, the force that it was shot from, it hits the leather jacket but does not puncture skin. I pull the arrow out and, you know what? I'm going to shoot my own arrow at this guy, which, with my strong bow, adds plus six attack, so seven, and it has eight hit points, two defense, so I deal five damage to it. Not the most ideal option. I could have dropped this thing with my sword, but if it wants to play this game, I shoot it and hit one of its legs and it starts sparking. It's off balance and it is going to attempt to attack me again. Another five for five damage, but this time I have my light shoes ready. I dodge out of the way of its shot, line up my shot again and shoot. I have shot two arrows, so let me go ahead and mark that down. But this second shot hits it right in its red eye in the middle of its machine body and it just kind of whirs to a stop and drops inert. I didn't rush it because I wanted to stay close to this old man and make sure that if he needs any help, I can provide it. So I quickly turn around and check on the old guy, but he's not doing too well. He reaches into his satchel and hands me a blood-covered book. I obtain journal number two. Oh, interesting. He manages to gasp out, Torch the motherfuckers! before he dies in my arms. I keep his small bow and six arrows. I don't keep his small bow. I think I leave his small bow across his chest and put him under a willow. I do refill and use his arrows. And I notice a cryptic note written on the back page of the journal, which says, R6, C1, 4. R5, C3, 5. R6, C6, 5. And I have no idea what the hell that means. I also rolled 2d6 for a reward from the Buster T5 and find three meal bars, but I think we can justify that as on the old man. And looking up what Journal 2 does, it unlocks tech skill number 7, which says Flaming Arrows. I use it, and no training required. It uses a turn, and all of my arrows for the rest of the combat are on fire, which grants them plus one attack and plus one burn, which at the beginning of the enemy's turn, they roll a d6, and they take that much damage. So that's cool. Just made the bow a lot more viable. So we eat some fruit, we camp for the night, and we move on. Rolling to see where the god goes. It is heading back into the same hex it just came from. It is hovering in an empty little pocket to the south of where I am currently and just kind of hanging out south of where we had our first little fight in the desert. But we are beginning day 44 and I'm going to continue moving east. 4d6 for the day and it brings us to some desert, which right next to some swamp is interesting. But again, we've said desert in this game is more like urban developed regions. So we roll desert and we get a nine, which is an encounter. And our encounter is five, which says the Oasis. Oh, so this makes sense. You know, the source of water in a desert, an oasis, it could be tied to that wetland. And actually, I think that's how we're going to phrase this is, well, let's read the thing first. You walk through the alleys of an old town. You stop in front of a villa where a water fountain still flows. You find a cat watching the fish swim around. You sneak over and it lets you pet it. Oh, that's... that's worth it right there. After playing with it for a few minutes, it darts off suddenly, and you wonder what scared it off, until you turn around and see a Seeker K9 ready to bite your arm off. Yeah, instead of it being 
a fountain at a villa. I like the idea of this being like a public park in an otherwise really urban area of this town. And it drains eventually down to the swamp that we just came from. Just a, you know, me, I like my ecologically and environmentally consistent storytelling. Very important. So the Seeker Canine launches itself at me, attempting to bite my arm off, and it's going to roll for damage. It rolls a four, which is good for three damage, but I manage to, as always, fight this thing off. These are on the smaller end of these robots. It has less HP than it usually would. This has a very low defense score, and they're mostly just tiny skirmishers. I almost imagine the Seeker Canines, and I know this is a pun, canine, dog-like. They're like pack, small, little... Have you ever seen that? Like, I think it's Boston Robotics built that quadrupedal robot that could balance and run and stuff like that. That's exactly what I imagine these things to be, except very hostile. But not taking any chances, I'm just going to pull out my solar-powered taser, new day, new charge, and wait for it to jump at me and just bury it right into this thing's chest and overload its circuitry and just watch it fall limp and useless. Surprisingly, we do roll 3d6 to see what kind of reward we get for defeating the Seeker Canine, so we can justify that probably as it being in an urban region. And I got a 9, which on brand for this session 4 of Miru is 6 bitlets, so I'm just stacking up money here in case I run back into a village. Also, it says here, after the fight, you explore the villa a little bit. You find a Journal 1 on the kitchen table, and it has a cryptic code written on it on the back page. This one says R4C21, R4C33, and R3C61. Ooh. I've managed to find both journals in this session. Looking at the item catalog under treasures, journal 1 unlocks tech skill 6. It is lost notes from a traveler, and tech skill 6 says electric bolts. You can electrify all of your arrows till the end of combat. 2 EP, this one adds 2 attack instead of 3 for the flaming, but it does add plus 1 stun. Hmm. I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom, so this is very much like about to shoot an arrow. Oh, I'm going to attach one of my fruits to it. Except in this, it is somehow overloading these arrows to more punishingly damage these robots. All right, eating one of my last two fruits. Settling down for the night on the edge of this pond. And healed up as we move into day 45. Because we're in the corner of the map and we have really nowhere else to go, we're heading southwest into a tile I've been in before which is a mountain that I had an encounter in, so I do not have to re-roll an encounter or an event. Let's roll to see where the god's going. The god has just gone back and forth between two tiles so far in this session. It's waiting for me. She knows. And as I settle down to camp for an uneventful day 45 in the mountains I am familiar with, my engineered plant grows a new fruit. So I pop a glowing fruit in my mouth and enjoy some questionable, genetically engineered, or magically enhanced, or robotically tainted fruit. Who knows? Either way, not sick yet. And now we are going to go into a new hex, as for day 46, we're heading southeast into a 
hex we have not been in. First, let's roll for the god. Oh, the god is continuing to go further south for the first time in a while. All the way back to a tile we were in in the very first session. Oh no, it better not be heading for my village. But we're attempting to chase it down, so let's roll our 4d6 here to see what we find in this new tile. It is more mountains, and I rolled a 9, so that is an encounter in the mountains. And I rolled a 4 for the type of encounter which says runner's high. As you're walking uphill through the mountains, you see a sign written in the barcode language. You're not sure if it's a warning or trying to tell you something good is up ahead. After thinking about it for a minute, you decide to head back downhill. When you turn around, a small hooded android is behind you. He tries to talk to you, but you only hear an odd static noise coming from the figure. He seems harmless, but you think you should probably find a safe spot away from it before it gets too dark. You tell him you can't understand him, and you walk away. Along the way, you find two fruit and five arrows as you look for a spot to camp. Hmm. It's an interesting encounter. Who is this android? I just encountered my first android down in the subway tunnels. And now, maybe my hesitation to attack it outright is a little bit of guilt because there was kind of a human element to it, and this one making only static. Again, I just kind of feel bad for it, and it let me go. I think that it left the fruit and arrows, leading me to a safe place to camp, but we'll never know. And that's day 46 in the mountains. We will eat my last fruit, saving my meal bars, and camp down for the night as we continue to head south towards the god. Speaking of, let's see where the god goes at the beginning of day 47. Oh, this one's a little different. It heads west into the mountains, but is still quite a bit south from us. But this is going to allow us to get a little bit closer. And the direction that we are heading is southwest into an area of desert that doesn't strike me at first as familiar, but then I see some destroyed infrastructure and realize this was the site where I fought the god for the first time. An uncomfortable reminder of my weakness. I just make as much haste as possible and trek through here. However, I think I do have to roll again for an encounter because we fought the god here, but I never rolled for an event in the first place here. So now that the god isn't here, let's just see if we roll an event in this desert tile. I did roll ruins, and it's one we haven't done, so might as well take a look at it. In the town where most of the buildings have crumbled, only one is standing, and it's an old movie theater. You try some century-old popcorn, and it's actually not that bad. You sit and watch a dystopian cyberpunk movie, but halfway through, the power goes out. You investigate to find that your solar-powered banks can't hold a charge anymore. Oh, the solar... Ooh, I thought it said your. The solar-powered banks can't hold a charge anymore. You find two bitliths behind a register and sleep next to an arcade machine. Not bad. Two more bitliths. And we move on, continuing south towards the god and some unexplored tiles. And let's see what awaits us on day 48. Rolling to see where the god goes. 
southwest. It is making its way towards my village where we started this whole thing. Oh no! Well, we move southwest and try and keep pace. And find ourselves in more swamp. We rolled an 8 for the event, which says ruins. And the ruins we rolled was a 6, which is something we have not gotten yet. Which says Y2K2. Oh man. You guys remember Y2K? You find a brick house that's still in good shape compared to the rest of the neighborhood inside. You find photos of two women in a newspaper with the headline, Scientist finds we are 22 years off. Suggests we roll the clocks back to 1999. Next to it is a scrapbook that documents the chaos that occurred after the date changed. There's 10 pages dedicated to headlines that say, Many fear the time to change will encourage terrorists to repeat tragic events like 9-11. The last page has a smeared newspaper clipping of an obituary for one of the women who lived here. You find four bitliths and another sleeper's leather jacket in the bedroom. Oh, it's a sad story. And more memories of Session 1 are flooding back as I am down to my last three meal bars. Starvation may start coming for me as I attempt to finally track down this robot god. Let's see where they're going. They are actually pulling a full 180 and heading northeast, which helps us because that is bringing us both closer together. As we are going to travel southwest again. And now we're only two tiles away. And let's see what our tile has. It is desert, and I rolled a 7, which is ruins, and a 6 for the ruins, for one we have not yet been in, that says a federal building. You come across a gray building with columns and a marble exterior. It has a giant hole in its roof. You step inside to find that most everything here has been burned down or buried with the roof. Old paintings of men line what little remains of the walls. I find another bow, some arrows, and bitliths in the rubble. The paperwork on the desk of the biggest office is covered in rusty bloodstains, and an arrow sticks out of the chair. Yep. That's the kind of thing that would happen at the end. But we managed to get some rest in here, and move on to day 50, which comes with the final cutscene of Miru 1. Before I read it, let's go ahead and roll to see what direction the god heads in. You can't make this stuff up. It is heading to the hex directly next to the hex that we are heading into. Day 50 says, The next new tile you visit triggers this event, and that tile is a desert, right next to the federal building. As I walk through the shadows of the rocky landscape to avoid the heat of the sun, you notice a large silver ring in the dirt. As you walk near it, the hair on your body rises. You walk around the ring, inspecting it, and realize it's a wireless power supply. This is what the survival books talked about. If you have the ability to use TS4 EMP grenade, you can spend 2 EP up to 3 times to attempt to turn off the power supply. Oh, and I haven't trained it, it's down to 1! So I have to roll a 1, and if I succeed I guess a 2, and then if I succeed I guess a 3. I can attempt it up to 3 times to turn off the power supply. If you manage to shut it down, the god loses 20 hit points, and robots lose an additional 2. If you fight an enemy on this tile, and the power supply still works, your solar-powered taser is restored after a turn. Oh. 
So I guess I'm supposed to roll for an event as well. So let's go ahead and roll. We know it's a desert. Let's see if there's an encounter as well. Since I know it's desert, I rolled a five, which is ruins, and the ruins I rolled were three. But we've actually seen every type of ruins in the desert except for one. So I'm going to make it that one, which says the tank man. Pieces of rusty jeeps, tanks, and robot parts litter the area. You find an undamaged tank. Open the hood and hop in. Inside is a skeleton wearing a uniform and quite a few spiders. You find a faded photograph in the soldier's jacket of a woman and child. On the back is handwriting that reads, I won't bow to a robot god. I can take the military helmet from the tank and hop out, but because I have the Cyclops helmet, I think I'm just going to leave it, give the guy my respects, and focus on the power supply. So I have three attempts to roll a 1 on 3d6 to short out this power supply with the EMP grenade. First roll, I got a 4, a 6, and a 1, which means that I've turned off the power supply, improved my EMP grenade up to tech skill 2, and the surge of power that just dissipates when this power supply goes out. It almost shakes the ground. I turn my taser on, and reminded of what happened with that android where I said, think fast, and I threw it to see if he'd catch it. This time, I'm not as worried. I toss it into this large silver ring. And like, you ever seen those videos where someone drops a magnet down a coil and it like hovers for a second and then melts? It kind of does that with my taser. I'm not going to say my taser melts just because I like it. But it kind of hovers there for a second in some kind of electromagnetic field and just the electricity arcs out from my taser, surging this power supply, and the ground almost lurches and dust from the desert kind of just shoots up all over nearby and for miles around me, much like when the radio tower went silent, I think you can feel almost like a sonic boom that just kind of, some kind of wave, shock wave, just emanates out from this power supply. And because the robot god is in the next hex over, I think I hear it crashing, creaking its rusty hinges, everything that's happening to it, it is losing grip on its power here. And as I have taken almost the full calendar of this game to get there, we're moving into day 51. And this god is severely weakened this time. Day 51 begins. We are down to two meal bars. And that's all our food in the world. And we've been walking through scorching desert for days. Roll to see where the god goes. The god heads to the federal building tile that we just left. And I am going to use that information to meet it there. Showdown at the Capitol. Standing before the marble steps and columns of this collapsed federal building, the god turns as I not concealing myself, not moving stealthily at all. Walk, and I imagine it's like if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. or seen pictures of the reflecting pool as it leads up to the Lincoln Memorial, I kind of imagine it like that. There's a almost runway between the two of us. The battlefield has been set. 
and unlike the last time I saw it, this robot looks like it is barely holding itself together. It charges me every massive footfall, threatens to throw me off balance and cause me to stumble or fall if I wasn't paying attention to my weight as I transfer from one leg to the other, meeting it in the middle. And despite jumping onto it, it attacks first. The impact of colliding with this robot god, causing me to take 11 points of damage, minus my 7 defense thanks to my Cyclops mask giving me an additional plus 1 defense against robots, so I only take 4 damage. I have been ready. It caught me off guard the first time in the clouds of sand that it kicked up in the desert. Here, it doesn't have as much of an advantage there. It's my turn, and I'm going to attempt to roll and slice with my laser sword, the arm of the very robot that killed my brother, that spurred this entire revenge mission, this hatred of this robot god, the world that it has created, and what it has done to humanity. I don't have to roll, I have maxed out training on the roll and slice, and that's going to deal 9 plus 1 for the Allura cards, 10 points of damage minus its 5 defense is 5 damage, thanks to the power supply crippling this robot god. It is down to 3 hit points. It falls to one knee and uses one of its massive metal arms to attempt to smush me like a bug, and deals 13 damage minus my 7 armor for 6 more damage, bringing me down to 10 hit points. But I'm up, and I'm not done with my laser sword yet. In a very cinematic moment, that hand coming down looks like it did crush me as it impacts the ground, and we see the pavement and dust crack and come up in a plume but I used Dodge and Strike. I emerge from the side of its hand and slice off its massive robot hand with my laser sword for 9 plus 2 is 11 minus its 5 defense is enough to take down this robot god. The god falls to the ground it tries to crawl away, but doesn't have the energy to pull itself back up. It turns over to look at you, and you hear that woman's voice crackle through the speaker behind its face. You fool. Without me, you wouldn't exist. If I hadn't taken over, you would have killed yourselves. Look around. The planet is healed. I'm sorry about your brother, truly. I patched the software weeks ago. I'm still finding bugs with the hardware that was available a century ago. I apologize, but my mistake does not mean you are allowed to continue your rampage. You are disrupting a delicate ecosystem. I have given you everything, and yet you continue to devolve into the virus you were always meant to be. You can't help it, but I need you to dig deep down in that rational brain I know you have. Without me, you will starve, or go back to your parasitic habits of over-extracting your environment until nothing is left. You have no self-control, 
You act upon your, exhausted from the long-ass speech, you stab through the god's face and destroy the speaker. You take a moment to look at the body of a dead god. After traveling for many weeks, you make it back to your village. You walk past the field your brother died in. Overwhelmed from the journey, you fall to your knees and cry. I got him back for you. After collecting yourself, you get ready to meet up with everyone to tell them what you did. You walk around the village, but you can't find a soul. Every building is empty, abandoned. You stop by the community bulletin board and find a note. It reads, A few weeks ago, all of the bots that help us farm froze and stopped working. They just quit on us, when we needed them the most. We tried to fix them, but failed. A helper F2 told us head east to a village where the outage wasn't affected. We packed up and took all of the food we had in storage. You hear the sound of a speaker turn on. You look around the bulletin board to see a helper F2 with a broken leg walking. I am a god you cannot kill. You are but flesh, and I am infinite. The ground begins to shake and you lose your balance. As you pick yourself up, you look west, just over the treetops, and the silhouette of the giant god with wings is lifting itself off the ground. The helper F2 walks up to you as the shaking subsides. You notice the god looking around. For dust you are, for dust you will return. The helper F2 whispers, and you freeze in fear. The flying god's body slowly turns towards you and lets out a loud, metallic screech. It begins flying in your direction. And that is the end of Miru 1. Holy shit. That was awesome. You know, it's kind of funny because towards the end there, it was funny rolling any kind of encounter because I'm like, oh, I'm going to steamroll this. And the fight against the god, when we did it last session, and it had all of those hit points, I could deal a lot of damage to it, but it had a high defense, and I didn't have a whole lot of hit points. Dealing the 20 damage with the power supply was huge, and definitely made the last fight much, much easier. But even then, I took 10 damage in two rounds. I wasn't going to go much longer. Oh. I can't wait to read Miru 2. And I hope that you can't wait to listen to more. We are going to be back on our bi-weekly Miru releases schedule. But, barring a surprise beginning of Thousand Year Old Vampire, expect me to complete Miru 2 as well. Probably another three or four episodes, but I think that these have made for great solo series, and I hope that you enjoyed them. If you like what we do here at DMs After Dark, please follow us on social medias, like us on whatever podcast app you use. It helps us find more listeners. More listeners means more opportunity to interact with our community, make more connections within the RPG sphere. You know, we're just trying to highlight games that people should be playing, and we hope that 
we have helped you consider or find a game that you think sounds interesting. And don't worry, we've got a lot more in store. If you want to reach out to us directly, email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. You know, just send us whatever. I always feel like I forget something. Sarah's got this down so pat, but stay tuned for Miru 2, playing with myself on the internet. We are then going to be going to Thousand Year Old Vampire, which is going to be more like an audio drama, but we will discuss how the mechanics work and how the prompts work before we delve into our journal entries and letters that we write to one another. And definitely come hang out on Twitch on every other Friday, where we are playing through six seasons in Sartar, a RuneQuest adventure run by Christian. Do I have anything to apologize for? I don't think so. Until next time, remember, for dust you are, for dust you will return. Torch those motherfuckers. Oh god, I gotta take that again. Torch those motherfuckers. <laughs> what kind of dumbass voice am I giving this old man? <laughs> <laughs>